good to see you all today. Um, You heard already a little snippet of our scripture text for this morning, but before we dive into that, I'm going to start us off by introducing you to some of my friends and what God is doing through their lives. So, this is my friend Angela. We met 14 years ago in college. You can see she's very small in stature, but what she lacks in size, she makes up in spirit. She's a giant force of God. You see, from a young age, Angela developed a heart for public education in low-income areas. She herself grew up in a poor area outside of Chicago. She saw firsthand that sometimes these lower-income schools have trouble retaining good teachers, they have trouble getting funding, and because of all of these factors outside of these kids' control, they aren't getting as good of an education as they could. So Angela, she saw this, and she said, this isn't right. So she has made it her mission to become the best teacher that she can and to serve the underserved students. So she went to a school where no one else wanted to go. For 10 years, she has poured her life into students, not just in the classroom, but on evenings, weekends, summers, getting paid very little and pouring out very much. And she is so happy and joyful in what she's doing. Now, I've given Angela as an example, but I know that many of you do the same thing. Many of you who are currently teachers or were teachers or who serve at-risk youth in different ways, but I didn't use one of you because then the rest of you will be thinking, why isn't she talking about me? So this is a, 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 a third party to represent some of your stories, too, because I had your stories in mind. So that's one of our first examples. Here's another friend that Brandon and I met in seminary. Her name is Sarah. And Sarah, she had her first career in the corporate world, but then God called her out of that to seminary. She wasn't quite sure why. But then when she was in seminary, she started volunteering in a local jail. And she started realizing that many of these brothers and sisters were forgotten by communities. Not only that, but when they got out of jail or prison, They had trouble connecting, especially in church communities. It was hard for them to find a place that was accepting and loving and that would let them serve in ways that they wanted to serve. And she said, this isn't right. This isn't right. These are our brothers and sisters. So when she graduated, she became a full-time jail chaplain, and then she planted a church called Rectify Church, which means to restore, to make something right again. And for the first time in her community, former inmates are finding a place that they can belong and serve and love and be loved. So that's Sarah. Here's another one. This is Katie. Katie's a mother of six biological children. That should be enough. We should just move on. (laughs) She has six children, and when she was a young mother of her first child, she was in for a doctor's appointment, and she picked up a pamphlet as she was looking at her first newborn child And this pamphlet said that this generation of children is going to be the first generation that is going to have a shorter lifespan than their parents. That is, for generations and generations, the lifespan has been going up, health has been going up, but for the first time, there's a downward slope. She thought, "Why why is this? My innocent little child hasn't done anything to deserve a sicker and shorter life than I have. This isn't right. 
So she used her journalism skills to go to work, studying, researching, partnering with others. Why is this, and is there anything we can do to help? And now there are a lot of factors that she has come across, and um, you can find out about it through her blogs and works. You can connect with me if you want. But one of the things to give you as an example that she found is that a lot of companies recently have started using ingredients in their personal care products and cleaning products and food that the public is, has, hasn't really known, but we're coming to learn are leading to illnesses like cancers and childhood cancer even. A lot of things that we just haven't known but that are really harming us. So she's made it her mission to inform people and to advocate to companies, stop using these things that are harming us because we want to protect our innocent children. In this way, Katie is trying to make something right. She's trying to promote the flourishing of all. Our final one, I, this is my favorite one. I saved it for last. Perhaps you've seen this picture before. I don't personally know this little girl, though I wish I did. Anyone know who this is? This is, this is Ruby. This picture was taken November 1960 in New Orleans, Louisiana. Ruby at this time was six years old. A law had just been passed that allowed African-American students to attend school with white students. And Ruby Bridges was the first African-American student to attend a previously all-white school in the South. But that first day of school for her was not so peaceful. You see, as Ruby walked in and out of school, droves of angry white adults lined the sidewalks. Parents who had withdrawn their own students from school so that they wouldn't have to be close to Ruby. And they shouted profanities and threats against this little six-year-old girl. That's why you see these U.S. Marshals there who had to escort her to protect her at least from the physical damage that they were um, threatening against her. But this little six-year-old Ruby, she knew that she and her African-American peers were made in the image of God, and they had just the same right to a good school education as the other kids. So Ruby bravely walked these sidewalks in and out of school, and here's the real clincher. You know what she was doing as she was walking and having these adults scream profanities at her. She was praying for them. You see, Ruby's pastor had preached that Christians are called to seek justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with God. That included praying for your enemies. So that's what she did. She embodied all of these, walking humbly, kindly praying for her persecutors as she went. And the rest is history. So now, what do these four women have in common? A school teacher, a jail chaplain, church planter, stay-at-home mom, nonprofit manager, a little girl simply walking to school, at first glance, it may not seem like much, but at the core, they share the most important similarity. And that is they're living deeply in the kingdom of God. That is the title of our sermon series right now, living deep in the kingdom of God. 
Each of these women has been immersed in the story of scripture. Each has caught the vision of God's glorious kingdom, a kingdom in which all God's creatures flourish, in which there is peace and justice and kindness for all under God's reign. Each woman, by the power of Christ's spirit, is living to promote, to give witness to God's kingdom vision. And their lives are a reflection to us of Christ's life, a life that embodies what God desires from us as told by the prophet Micah. So hear now these famous words from God spoken through the prophet Micah. Chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. Before we read, let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us. May we have open minds, open hearts to receive your will and to do your will through all our words and deeds. In Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Hear God's word as spoken through the prophet Micah. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression and the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of the Lord. Who here has heard this verse before? Anyone? Yeah. It's, it's pretty famous. Um, I heard one preacher say, oh yeah, the book of Micah, that's a good verse. <laughs> this is probably the one verse that people pick out most from the, from the book of Micah. And there's a lot else going on in the book of Micah. I hope you've been reading along. Um, but this is a, a turning point in the book that's really important. So to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God, this is what God says he requires of us. What this means, what we get in some of the context of what else is going on in this book of Micah, is that God is saying, hey, look, I'm not looking for you to just check off a box to say, did my duty Here's what the sacrifice was. Check, done, done, done. Now on to other things. No, what God wants is not just this one and done transaction. Here, God, here's my tithe. Here's my time on the committee. Here's my evening prayer. Check, check, check. Now, God, you're satisfied. Now I'll be seen as a good, dutiful person. Good, dutiful Christian. Check. Now on to what else ever else I want to do. No, friends, that is not what God wants. God doesn't want a simple transaction. God wants our whole person. What God is most concerned with is our character, who we are at the core. God doesn't just want something from us. He wants us to be something, to be a people who are just to be a people who are kind, to be a people who are humble. 
in everything we do and say all the time. The particulars of exactly what and how and uh, everything that we give to God, those particulars, these all are going to flow from who we are, and that's what God's most concerned with. It's the who. It's the heart. Throughout scripture, we always read that God is most concerned with the heart because God knows that when our hearts are right, the right words and actions will come. When our hearts are right, we will be a people who naturally do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God. So that's what God wants from us, to be a people who reflect him to the world. So now let's take a few minutes to unpack the particulars of this short but oh-so-rich verse, um, Micah 6, 8. Just what does it mean to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with God? I started us off with a few stories of a few different people I know because I want us to understand that it's going to look differently for different people. You really have to tune in to your heart. It's all about first getting your heart right, and then God will direct you according to your gifts and passions and what God has given you. So keep an open mind for what the Spirit is going to say to you this morning and how the Spirit might guide you. But right now we're going to look just generally at these concepts throughout Scripture. So the first one is to do justice. Now, I'm going to start off by making, again, two broad um, suggestions because it's, it, the particulars can be different. The first one is um, there's a really good book. If you're looking for a Christmas gift or a good book reading, this is called The Justice Calling, Where Passion Meets Perseverance, co-authored by Kristen Johnson and Bethany Hoang. We know Kristen personally. She's a professor where we went to seminary. She is also one of the first people who encouraged my husband to pursue vocational ministry. So you can thank Kristen for Brandon being here. So um, if that's not a good enough reason to buy her book, um, I don't know what is. But uh, Kristen and Bethany do a great job of their great biblical scholars going through the justice, the theme of justice from Genesis to Revelation and giving us the broad biblical picture of justice. So it's a good book if you'd like to check it out because there's way more to be said than I'm going to be able to say this morning. So to save you from being here until tonight, I'm just going to plug that. My second suggestion is that as we approach this, this idea of doing justice, which is the first uh, imperative in this passage, is that we open our minds the truth is that culturally, we can get stuck in some really narrow understandings of justice. And instead, I encourage us to open our minds to receive a broad biblical understanding of justice, which I promise is much more beautiful, much more expansive, much more desirable than certain political parties make it out to be. And I mention that because it is the truth, I need to name it. We're in a divided political context right now, and certain parties can grab onto this word and then make it seem something, and that might be a, a bit of it, and that's okay, but the Bible has a really, really broad picture of it. So if you come in carrying good or bad connotations of this because of the political climate, I ask you just to maybe check that for a little bit and have an open mind to what our biblical writers have to say about it. So, 
So what is justice in biblical terms? What does the Bible have to say about it? Because when you read your Bible, it is all over the place. It is, it is all over the place. So most simply put, justice is setting things right. When you read your Bible, you're going to notice that throughout the words justice and righteousness are usually linked together. You often find them side by side. Because you see, righteousness also has to do with setting things right. You can hear it naturally in our English word, righteousness. You hear the right, setting things right, being set right. But here's the thing. In the original language of Greek, these two are nearly interchangeable words. It's hard for us to hear in our English because we have two different words, but at their root, they both come from this same word, dikaiosune. Um, I, I butchered that. It's been a long time. Diakasune. Yeah. It's been a little while since I took Greek. <laughs> but the point is the same. The English words that we get, justice and righteousness, they come from the same word in Greek. So it's interesting, those of you who are interested in other languages, Tommy, Rop, <laughs> if you read the Bible in other languages, particularly Spanish, we have um, John Borman's a Spanish uh, speaker here, so maybe he can read the Bible in Spanish for us, where we have the word justice, they're going to have the word righteousness, and vice versa. And both are right, because both come from the same root. They both have the same root meaning, which is to set things right. So God justifies us. God makes us right with God and then calls us to justice, living rightly with others. God makes us righteous, right with God, and then calls us to righteousness, living rightly with others. Do you see the connection? They're pretty much the same, being right with God, right with others. They are always connected, living rightly with God, rightly with others. Making a cross here. I look like a football referee or something. So that is the heart of justice, right living, right living with God, right living with others. There's a way that Jesus summarized it when he summarized the law, which is a summary of all these Old Testament prophets and um, Moses and all of this. So he says the greatest commandment is to love God and love others as ourselves. Live rightly with God, live rightly with other people. That's the heart of it. Live rightly with God, love God with all you are. Live rightly with others, love others with all you are. Folks, that's the heart of justice. That is it. That is at the beginning of our church mission statement. We exist to love God, to love others as ourselves. You maybe didn't know it, but we've been living into this justice calling. It is a call to love God and love others. So then let's get practical. That begs the question, how do we do this? How do we do justice as God instructs us through the prophet Micah? In other words, how do we live rightly with God and live rightly with others? So there's going to be a lot of ways. Remember, I gave you some examples at the beginning. But here's general places where we start. 
you can write these down because it might be a helpful way for you to pray through in coming days and weeks for how God might be calling you to live out this verse particularly in your life. So this is the general way God calls us all to start. The first is pretty simple at first glance, but it requires your whole life. So the first is to fix your focus on God. Learn God's character as most fully revealed in Jesus Christ. Pray for God to shape us into Christ's image. Fix your focus on God. That is the core. This is why Micah 6.8 says, walk humbly with God. This really is the key imperative that shapes everything else. Humility before God is the number one starting point. It is to recognize that everything you are, everything you have, is a pure gift of grace from God. It is all a gift. Before this command in Micah 6, God had just reminded the Israelites of everything God had done for them. You can read it yourself. And God says, look at all these things I've done for you. Now, what do I require of you? God calls us to do the same. Look at all that God has done for you all that God is doing for you, your very life is a gift from God. So have humility before him. God is God, no one else. In other words, no idolatry. It seems pretty simple, but throughout the Bible, this is the number one sin that God names over and over and over is idolatry. Placing anything or anyone else before God, and the second follows right on its heels, no injustice. That is, don't mistreat God's creatures. Throughout the Bible, these are the two biggest things that God warns us against, idolatry and injustice. Idolatry and injustice. They are the opposites of love God, love neighbor. Failing to love God and love neighbor, that is idolatry and injustice. Some Christians, when we think of sin, we can tend to think just of acts of personal piety. You know, the, the 1960s, no sex, drugs, rock and roll. Have you heard that, some of you? I thought that would maybe get a laugh, but no one. <laughs> so I'm not up here. I'm not going to advocate, you know, inappropriate drug use. Not going to advocate sex outside of marriage. Rock and roll might be okay. I'm not a big personal fan, but... I think God's okay with it. Well, it's important to know, sometimes those can get the emphasis, like these certain things. But when we look at the Bible, what God names over and over and over is idolatry and injustice. And sometimes in our modern culture, these things are completely overlooked or actually even promoted. Like, we're encouraged towards these two things, and it's really not good. <laughs> because idolatry includes things like overinflated pride or excessive greed or self-centeredness or self-promotion. All of these things are idolatry of placing self above God. And God's really serious about that. God is also really concerned about our mistreatment and ignoring of others. This injustice people, uh, injustice people, injustice component God is really particular, especially when we ignore or mistreat those who are vulnerable. The poor, 
the very young, the very old, the widow, the orphan, the prisoners, the foreigner. And it's not just when we mistreat them, it's also when we fail to act to protect and care for the vulnerable. Failure to act is also an injustice. So we all know that if I had my baby girl and I hit her, you would all say, that is totally wrong, right? That's an act that I committed that is a complete injustice. But it's also an injustice if she's sitting there crying and for hours I don't do anything to console her, I don't feed her, I I just leave her be while I do my other things and don't really care about these cries that I'm hearing. That's the same with us in our lives. There are acts that we commit and then times that we fail to act when we hear the cries of the vulnerable and we choose to look the other way. That is also an act of injustice and God is really concerned about that. So we ask again, how do we live as people of justice? How do we live rightly with God and rightly with others? How do we avoid serious pitfalls of idolatry and injustice? Well, once again, we look to Jesus because he most fully reveals God's character. And what we see is that Jesus, he consistently uses and lays down his power for the powerless. Jesus is consistently moving toward those who are in need, whether it's physical or spiritual need. He moves toward them, and he uses his power to promote their flourishing. And that is what he calls us to as well. So the very practical question is, what power has God given you? In particular, what power has God given you that can be used to promote the flourishing of others? Now sometimes when we hear this word power, we overinflate it like, Superman or Batman, you have to have the superpower, but, but think about the small gifts. All of you have been given power of some sort, and it can make a huge difference. Perhaps God's given you a great mind that can teach others. Maybe it's a manual skill you've honed over time. Maybe it's a good income. You have financial power and can make good choices with that. Maybe you have the gift of spare time right now because you're retired, no kids in the house. How might you use these gifts, this power that God has given you, not just for yourself, but to promote the flourishing of others? And remember, this is more than just a one-and-done transaction. It's, It's a whole life calling. God doesn't just want us to just here, check that box, check that box, check that box, done. No, God wants us to consider our whole lives. Every choice we make, every dollar we spend, every minute we spend on an activity, every thought, every word, every single choice is an opportunity to ask, am I promoting justice or injustice here? Am I helping to promote the flourishing of others? or not? Am I loving God and others in this moment, or not? Every choice is an opportunity to live rightly with God and others. Every choice is an opportunity to live out Micah 6. So again, I'm going to get us even more practical. 
because I don't want this just to be a verse that just stays in our head, but we don't act on it. I want us to really tune into our hearts and really start to think practically about the ways that we're living this out. So two super practical steps. The first is start small with the people right around you. The small things, folks, are always the big things. The small things are always the big things. Think about the people that God has placed right around you, in your family, your neighborhood. If I were to ask your spouse, your children, your neighbor, the grocery store clerk, your waiter, would they say that you are a person of humility, of justice, of kindness in your day-to-day interactions? Would they say that you lay down your power to promote their flourishing? Or are you mostly concerned with yourself? Friends, this is where it all starts. If you're going out, gaining all sorts of popularity as a do-gooder in the world, and at home everyone thinks you're a jerk, that's a big fail. (laughs) Jesus always cared for those nearest to him. Start small, right with the people around you. I can attest to you that your other pastor, Pastor Brandon, he lives this out at home and in our neighborhood, in our community, so you can trust him gold stamp of approval. (laughs) Just had to verbalize that. So, appreciate you. (laughs) So start small. But don't just stay there. Jesus, when we look at his life, we see that Jesus was always moving toward those who were outside his immediate circle. He cared for those closest to him, but he always moved out especially to those who are on the margins of the community, to those who didn't have circles to care about them. The poor, the sick, the outcast, those who were forgotten, who were failed to be loved well by their communities for whatever reason. He moved toward them, came near them. So how can we do the same? Think about your school or your workplace, your church family, the city of Lafayette. Who was especially vulnerable? Who might be forgotten? How can you move toward them in love and kindness as Jesus did? This is our last one. Consider where are you investing your God-given time, talents, and treasures? Because remember, these are all gifts from God. Are you using the hours, the skills, the money God has given you to love God and others, to promote God's kingdom vision of flourishing for all creatures? Or does your practical use of these things show that something else might be on the throne? It's just something to think about. Take note. Just observe that in your life. And then pray to God about how God might shift your heart if you see something that's out of whack. So 
I know we're getting close on time, but I'm going to close with one more story because it's, it's really powerful. I recently heard it at the conference that we attended, um, and it's worth retelling because it's, it's a great story of someone living out Micah 6.8. So I don't know this person, but I wish I did. His name is Joshua. He's 10 years old. Joshua attends a church in Kansas City, and at his church, is a major part of their mission and vision statement. All members are taught the importance of doing justice and loving kindness and walking humbly with God in all aspects of their life, even from a little age. One way that this church has been doing that is to partner with a sister church in Ethiopia, where major poverty, poverty leads to all sorts of problems, where the kids especially are, are vulnerable to child starvation and death. And so Joshua's church, this little 10-year-old boy, they were doing a series on, on tithing because they noticed that in the congregation giving was really down. And they were explaining to the kids that some of our ministries are being affected, including our partnership with this church in Ethiopia, so we might not be able to give to these children anymore. So the kids are taught about this, and they're taught tithing principles, and then they're encouraged to go home and pray, talk to their parents, and consider if they might bring a tithe or whatever God led them to help continue the ministries of the church, including this partnership in Ethiopia. So the next Sunday, Joshua comes in to his Sunday school teacher, and they were expecting, you know, the kids to bring in dollar here, dollar there, like kids do, you know, because it was supposed to be their own money. It wasn't just supposed to be their parents. It was supposed to be their own. So they were expecting just, you know, little bits here and there. Joshua brings his entire piggy bank and sets it before a Sunday school teacher. And they start to pour it out and count and count and count. And the Sunday school teacher says, Joshua, how long have you been saving this money? He says, I don't know, maybe a year. I was hoping to buy a couple of these new video games that all my friends have. So I've been saving my allowance all year long. And the Sunday school teacher said, Joshua, are are you just giving a portion of this? Do you want to just g give a section of this and then you can keep it to keep saving for what you want? And he, he looked at his teacher adamantly and said, no, no. Why would I do that? I have so many toys already. I have everything I need. Those kids in Ethiopia, they don't even have food. And that is not right. They need to have this money. So Joshua gave joyfully. It wasn't a duty. He wasn't checking off a box. He joyfully gave. He was excited to give, to participate in God's mission of helping to make things right, of helping to provide food for vulnerable brothers and sisters who were suffering for reasons outside of their control. It's stories like this, folks, that demonstrate why Jesus said, truly I tell you, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, Joshua's heart had been transformed. It wasn't so much about the amount that he give, gave, because let's be honest, in the big scheme of things, it was just a piggy bank. And it's not going to make that big of a dent. He, little Joshua doesn't have the political power to confront the governmental injustices or the, the knowledge and skills to address the environmental factors, all these other factors that are affecting the Ethiopian poverty. He didn't have that power. 
But he did have one thing. He had a piggy bank. He had a piggy bank that he decided he didn't really need, and those other kids did. So he gave it. He gave it with joy and gladness because he was captivated by God's kingdom of shalom. He was so full of love that he couldn't help but to participate in this kingdom vision of flourishing for all. And with that, I believe God is so deeply pleased that he chose to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with his God. And I pray that he inspires us to do the same. As we close, I'm going to um, read this little prayer. There's a devotional I use every day called Seeking God's Face. Um, walks through the whole narrative of scripture, just as we're doing with the narrative lectionary. And every day it has opening and closing prayers. And I read this one just yesterday and thought it was pretty pertinent for this topic. So let us close with this prayer. God of every square inch, thank you for the promise of your coming kingdom. The hope that everything wrecked will be completely renovated. Renew in me the vision that faith in you has everything to do with construction safety and agricultural practices, labor laws and justice-seeking, flourishing cities and thriving people. Let your kingdom come, all in the saving, powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who has done justice perfectly for us. Amen.